Well, last weekend, we launched into a three-part message series here at the chapel we've entitled Dangerous Prayers. And it's great to pray for our meals and great to pray for safe travels, and those are important things. But we've been asking the question, what if we prayed some riskier prayers, some dangerous prayers? And last weekend, Pastor Eric kicked off the message series here and took us to David's prayer out of the Psalms where uh, David prayed, Father, give me an undivided heart. What a challenging and pertinent message for our lives today. Uh, Next weekend, Pastor Jay will be be with us here at the Sandusky campus, uh, and we'll look at another dangerous prayer. The man that prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. To be that authentic and real about where we're at and our desperate need uh, for mercy. But this weekend we want to look at one more dangerous prayer. I think I drew the short straw because the the question we want to propose is what if we prayed for our enemies? Tucked in the middle of Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is trying to help the people of the day understand the, the real meaning behind the law that they had been given in the Old Testament. And he's almost taking it deeper, getting at the real heartbeat of God's way, and in some ways raising the bar for the believer's life. And this is what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and following. He says, You have heard the law that says... Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those that even persecute you. I don't know about you, but when I think about the enemies in my life, the last thing that I'm thinking is praying for them. Unless, of course, I'm praying like, God, get them, (laughs) right? And yet, these are Jesus' words. And I wonder, like, who are your enemies? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't know if I, I don't have, like, some big enemy in my life right now. There's no, maybe, arch nemesis, you know, you, you know kind of your, the joker to your Batman, right? Or the Steelers to your Browns, or, you know, I mean, like, real, you know, arch enemies. But sometimes the enemies in our life are more subtle. Sometimes... The enemies in our life are enemies for a moment in the heat of an argument. It feels like they're the enemy. Sometimes it's even the people closest to us that can feel in moments or in seasons like they're the enemy. If we were honest, maybe some of us at at moments we feel like our spouse is the enemy. Or maybe it's our ex and we feel like, there's, it's just always a fight over who gets the kids, when. They feel like the enemy. Or maybe uh, it's your teenager, and you're in the middle of it right now, and it, it just feels like you can't win. And there's, everything is always met with resistance, and they want their space, and yet they need your money. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and, and our teenager can feel like the enemy. Or maybe you haven't hit the teen years uh, Or maybe you're the teenager that's here and you're like, no, it's my mom and dad, my parents. They feel like the enemy. They don't get me. They don't understand what I'm going through. And in moments, it can feel like those closest to us are enemies. 
or maybe you haven't hit the teen years and you're just a young mom and it's your two-year-old that feels like the enemy, right? It's mine and no. And, and, and Lisa and I, we got through the two-year-olds. You know, we heard about terrible twos and we thought, man, we did all right. Like, we, we, we conquered that okay. And then the threes hit. Threes were wor- For us, the threes were worse than the twos. And our toddler can feel like the enemy, like, what's happening? Or maybe it's in your work world. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a boss. It, it, sometimes there's, there's that person that, you know, in the, in the break room, you just always feel like they're always talking about you behind your back. Or maybe it's the guy or gal across the boardroom from you. And when you bring up an idea for the company, it seems like it's always met with an opposite idea from them. Or maybe it's that boss. It, just, it feels like they're just, they're just waiting for you to fail so that they can come down on you or so that they can let you go. Who are your enemies? I don't know what, about you, but when I think about my enemies, like I, I, don't, I just want to avoid them. I, I just, we just need space or maybe, maybe we, we want revenge. We want them to get what's coming to them. Like, do they, after all that they've done, after all the things that they've said, the way that they've messed things up, And yet Jesus, in this passage, calls his followers to love and to pray for their enemies. And the people of that day, they had plenty of enemies, especially uh, many of the disciples of Jesus and the, the Jewish people. There was such oppression in the day. They knew what it was to have enemies. And you know what? Jesus knew what it was to have enemies. This is not something that Jesus somehow, you know, didn't really understand or get. Like, I mean, he was Jesus. I mean, how could he have enemies? But he did. In John 1.11, it says his own people, the Jewish nation, they rejected his message and they rejected him as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. In John 8.6, the religious leaders of the day, they mocked Jesus and they were continually trying to just trap him. They were against him. In Matthew 3.21... Jesus' own family was ashamed of him and tried to keep him from preaching. In Mark chapter 14, verse 50, Jesus' friends, his disciples, his closest brothers, deserted him when he needed them the absolute most. And think about this. In Mark 15, 13, the city that had once cried, Hosanna, which means God saves, as Jesus is uh, paraded into the town on the back of a donkey, and everybody's yelling, God saves, God saves, Hosanna in the highest. Only three days later, some of that same crowd is yelling, crucify him. So when we talk and think about our enemies, and Jesus has something to say to us, he's been there. He knows what he's talking about. And yet, he is raising the bar. To show us that there is a better way, a higher road to take, even when it comes to our enemies. So let's go back to Jesus' words and look at these a little closer. In verse 43, he says this phrase that shows up throughout the Sermon on the Mount multiple times. It says, you've heard the law that says. So he's referring to the Old Testament law that the people have been trying to follow up to this point. And he says, 
uh, the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, actually, the law said love your neighbor, but it never said hate your enemy. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But then it says, but Jesus said, but I say. Remember, Jesus is trying to get to the original heart and intent of the law or to almost raise the bar in our lives to say, no, this is what this really means. This is what this really should look like in our lives. And he says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. The law that Jesus is referring to is found in Leviticus 19.18. And it says these words, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, the people of the day liked this verse because it said, well, love your neighbor, and they defined neighbor as the people that are like me, like my fellow Jews, fellow Israelites. That's my neighbor. And so in their mind, their, their assumption, which was wrong, is that the only people that I have to love are the people that are like me, which gave them permission to say, well, if, if the people that are like me that you know, are trying to follow God's way, those are the only people that I need to love, well, that means that anybody outside of the people like me, uh, those are actually my enemies, and well, we should love our neighbors, the people like us, but that gives us freedom to then hate our enemies. Look at what one Bible scholar said about this. They said, practically, the duty of love had been restricted to a very narrow circle, and, and, and the rest of the wide world was left out in the cold. But not only was the circumference of love circle drawn in, but to hate an enemy was elevated almost into a duty. You see, this is what religion and rules does. We want to know from Jesus, well, you said love your neighbor, so then the question of the day was, well, then who's my neighbor? If you remember, there's a story in the Gospels where a, a very religious man came to Jesus saying, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what does the law says? say? And the, this religious guy, well, he knew the law, the law. And so he says, well, the law says love God with all you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, yeah, you're exactly right. That's the way, the pathway to everlasting life. And then it says this interesting phrase in the gospel. It says, and the man, the righteous, the, the, the righteous religious man, seeking to justify himself, asked, well, who is my neighbor? You see, when it comes to rules and religion, we're always looking for the loophole. Like, Jesus, I need to know for, you said love my neighbor, but I need to know who my neighbor is because then, you know, I'll, I'll toe the line and do exactly what you asked me to do but up to that limit and that limit only because then that's going to also allow me to know the freedom with, with which I can just do whatever I want. And the scribes of that day had added to the law. And they had added not just love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And Jesus was trying to correct all that thinking. In fact, in the, the scenario with the religious man asking Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus goes on to tell the story of the good Samaritan, and Samaritans were far from neighbors. They were like the downcast, the lowest of the low. And Jesus uses the story of the good Samaritan to illustrate that this unknown, this downcast, this, this looked down upon 
people group, the Samaritans, were actually acting towards the man that had been robbed on the road and uh, left for dead. The, the, the Samaritan was the real neighbor. And Jesus says to the righteous religious man, go and do likewise. In other words, he, in other words, he was saying, go and love and serve everybody. That's why Jesus, he's saying to, to the people that day, listen, I know what the law says and the way that you've interpreted the law in the past, but I am telling you, there's a higher way. Love and pray for your enemies. You can see why in, this, in that day and age, and, and in ours as well, like we need some good reason for the why. Like, I mean, is just because Jesus told us to love our enemies good enough? They needed a, a more compelling reason and honestly, we probably do too, because this is not easy stuff. This is like, are you serious, Jesus? So I want to look at two what I think are compelling reasons that Jesus gives for the why. Why should we love and pray for our enemies? The first reason is because God gives grace to everyone. Now remember, Jesus has just said, I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. And then in verse 45, he says, in that way, when we love and pray for our enemies, he says, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And look at how God treats people. He says, for he gives sunlight both to the evil and to the good. And he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. Jesus was saying, God gives grace to everyone. This was a super agricultural society where your livelihood was dependent upon your crops, which was dependent upon the sun and the rain. And here Jesus draws on that and he says, listen, when God makes it rain, he doesn't go, uh, hey, there's the good people over there, the righteous people, you know, the rule followers over there, the godly people. Let's just let the storm cloud hang over their crops, give them a little rain, and let's, let's make it barren and dry for the wicked. No, Jesus says God gives grace to everybody. It's common grace. He, he's generous and he shows his love towards the righteous and the unrighteous. He gives his grace to everyone. This is what Paul was referencing it, when, when, you, when you really think about it, we ought to love and pray for our enemies because at one time we were enemies of God himself. That's what Paul says here in Romans chapter 5. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, which if it had to be restored, it means that the friendship with God, the relationship for God that we were created for was broken because it had to be restored by the death of his son, he says, while we were still his enemies. What, what, G, what, what, what Paul is saying here in this passage is that when you and I were still enemies of God, God looked down the corridor of time and he knew that I, Todd Nielsen, would want to do my own thing, go my own way, would not want God to be God in my life, but I would want to be in charge of my life and I would abandon God and do my own thing even when God looked down the corridor of time and he saw all that in me and saw all that in us, he still 
loved us, and through his grace, he sent his one and only son to die on an old rugged cross so that when Jesus was punished there, it would be the punishment for my sins in the future. And he did that when I was still an enemy of God. Why should we love and pray for our enemies? Because we were God's enemies. And he still loved us anyway. And he's offered us amazing grace. That's the first reason why we should love and pray for our enemies. A second is because it shows that we are different. Look at what Jesus said. In that way, remember, in that way of loving and praying for our enemies, he says, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. The word there, true children, is the word legitimate. How do you know if you're legitimately someone's child? Well, you have to you got to have a paternity test or a DNA test, right? And what Jesus is saying is that the DNA test for God's children, if you want to know, have I really given my life to Jesus and am I God's child now? Have I been removed from the enemy list and brought into the friendship category of God himself? The DNA test for a true follower of Jesus is how we love people even our enemies. He says, that's what's going to set you apart. And Jesus goes on to expand on this. He says, verse 46, if you love only those that love you, he says, what reward is there for that? The implied answer, there's no reward for loving people that love you because everybody loves the people that love them. He says, even ta corrupt tax collectors do that much. Which, by the way, in that day, all the tax collectors were corrupt. They were all taking advantage of the people. And there was two groups of people that the religious looked down upon and hated. It was the corrupt tax collectors. And then the second group listed in this passage, the pagans. The ones who could care less about God. They're just doing their own thing. And look at what he says. Even corrupt ta tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else, he says. Even the pagans do that. Jesus was saying, our love and our love for our enemies, our heart of prayer for those that are against us, this is what shows we are really different. And this is why this is so hard, because it is different. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to live differently. But dangerous in, in the best of ways. And here Jesus says, listen, if we're just going to love the people that love us back and we're just going to be kind to the people that are kind, listen, your neighbor does that. People that you know that don't know Jesus, that don't have any relationship with them, they're loving, they're kind, because they're still reflecting God's goodness and God's image in their life. But if you're here this weekend and you're a follower of Jesus, he's raising the bar, guys. He's saying our love, even for our enemies, is what's going to make the difference. It's going to make you stand out, which is going to make the Jesus in you stand out. So what are these dangerous prayers then? 
If I'm, if I'm sitting in my chair right now and I'm realizing, man, okay, first of all, I didn't think I had enemies. Then I thought, oh, man, yeah, no, there are some enemies. They just aren't big arch enemies. They're, they're people that I love, people that I care about. But, but, man, we're just going at it or we're knocking heads or we, we just feel like we're at odds all the time. And I, and I need to pray for them because God has shown grace to me, and so I need to show grace towards others, then what is it that I should pray other than God get them, <laughs> right? I, I think Jesus lets us in on what we can pray, but these are some dangerous prayers. The first one would be God bless them. Like, are you serious? Like, you're telling me, ask God to bless my enemies? Like, what, what if he actually answers? And what if he blesses them? And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going to be more ticked off than I was before. Like, how, how could he do that to them? How could he give them that? How could he bless them in those ways? They don't deserve that. But here's the reality. God's love and God's grace, it, it's not about what we deserve, is it? And man, I... Shudder to think if God gave me what I deserved, I'd be in trouble. But instead, he shows grace. I love how the King James Version puts uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, these words of Jesus. It says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. You know that word bless there is the word that we get our English word eulogy or eulogize. You know, like you're at a funeral and someone gets up and they speak about the person that has passed away and they share memories and they share stories and they share uh, characteristics. They speak well of the person. That's the word eulogize. And here Jesus is saying, I want you to eulogize your enemies. Speak well of them. Look for the best in them, even though you know who they really are. And, and, and speak well to God on their behalf. Ask God to bless them. That's what he says. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them. Paul repeats this in Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Instead, Pray that God will bless them. I love what this commentator says. We cannot hate a man if we pray for him, and we cannot pray for him if we hate him. That's why loving and praying for our enemies goes hand in hand. He says, our weakness often feels it so hard not to hate our enemies that our only way to get strength to keep this highest and hardest commandment is to begin by trying to pray for the foe. And then, as we pray, we gradually feel the infernal fires dying down in our temper and come to be able to meet his evil with good and his curses with blessings. Jesus is calling us to pray a dangerous prayer for our enemies that God would bless them. Secondly, he's asking us to pray for God to give us opportunity to even serve them. Look at the text. He says, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you. 
What would happen if we prayed, God, help me serve my enemy. Help me look for ways to do good to them. (laughs) Paul repeats this in the book of Romans, and he's referencing both the Old Testament law out of the book of Leviticus, and then he also quotes here the book of Proverbs. And look at what he says. He says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And I love this part. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame upon their heads. Now that's starting to sound what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) But I call this redemptive revenge. Redemptive revenge. It's conquering evil by doing good. God's word is saying here that, that when we love our enemies, when we serve them, when, we, when they're hungry, we feed them. When, when they're thirsty, we give them something to drink. When we put their needs, we show them kindness, it will be redemptive revenge. It will be this revenge that's it's worse than going back at them with a curse or with the negative because it shows that you're taking the high road, the Jesus road. And at times, they'll even be shamed of their attitudes and actions towards you as their enemy because you refuse to get in the mud with them. And you live the Jesus way. This is what sets us apart. This is what makes us different. You want to have an impact in other people's lives? Love your enemies and pray for them. It's dangerous. I read a story a couple weeks ago. Uh, Hubert Humphrey was a vice president in our nation, and he had passed away. And as was custom, all presidents were invited to the funeral, except for one particular president, Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was not invited because he had dragged our country through the Watergate scandal. His name was kind of in the mud. It, 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 just, it just scarred our country, left a blemish. He was probably considered the enemy in many ways. So he wasn't invited. At the funeral, Jimmy Carter came in, which, by the way, Jimmy Carter was the opposing party as Richard Nixon. And Jimmy Carter came in and went to take his seat, and he noticed out of the corner of his eye, Richard Nixon was actually there, but he was standing in the back, just kind of hiding out. Instead of sitting down to get ready for the funeral, Jimmy Carter got back up, and he walked to the back of the room. And he approached Richard Nixon, and these were his words. Welcome home, Mr. President. Welcome home. Newsweek caught wind of it. They say that this was a radical turning point in the life of Richard Nixon and really a turning point in the life of our country. Because one person chose to take the higher road, the Jesus kind of way, that shows kindness, even to those that may not deserve it. So Jesus calls us to love and to, and to pray for enemies, to pray, God, bless them. And that doesn't mean like, you know, when your two-year-old is walking out from the kitchen with the marker and you see, you know, and you pray, oh, God, bless you. <laughs> like, oh, God, help me. <laughs> no, put, pray, God, bless you. God, give me opportunity to serve my enemy. 
And finally, the most dangerous prayer of all. God, forgive my enemy. And these were the words of Jesus himself. Jesus had been falsely accused, arrested, beaten, spit upon. And as Jesus' hands and feet were being nailed with ginormous spikes into these wooden beams, these were Jesus' words, his prayer to God in that moment was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I read that and I go, no, don't let them off the hook so easily, Jesus. Yeah, maybe they didn't know what they were doing in the sense that um, they didn't really realize that he truly was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Maybe they, maybe they didn't believe that he was God come in the flesh. And so in that sense, they didn't know what they were doing. But they knew Jesus was an innocent man, falsely accused. And they were murdering him. And Jesus prays for his enemies. Forgive them. This carried on into the early church. Stephen, one of the first martyrs, in Acts chapter 7, verse 59, it says, and as they stoned him, literally they would take rocks, circle up, and just start throwing them at the guilty person until they felt and, de and were dead. As they're throwing rocks at him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And it says he fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. That is radical. That is dangerous. To ask God to forgive our enemies, because, I mean, we know that we're supposed to, but, man, what would we do without that anger and without that bitterness and without that rage that is inside of us? We don't know, we don't know how we would live without having that thing. So we, instead of releasing it to God, we hold on to it because, if we're honest, we like it. We like to be able to hold something against someone. And Jesus is saying, you aren't, you aren't hurting that person. You're hurting yourself. We're locking ourselves up. And Jesus wants to set us free. And it's why Jesus, I think, could spread out his arms and say, Father, forgive them. It's a dangerous prayer. I wonder who your enemy is. When I was in college, uh, I came to learn that my little sister, Sarah, some of you know this, she was 12 years younger than me. My other sister's just two years younger than, my, than me. And my sister, Jody, her boyfriend was living in my parents' house at the time when I was away at college. And while I was away, I came to learn that Rob, my sister's boyfriend, had been sexually molesting my little sister 12 years younger. And I just wanted to come home from college and crush him. He was my enemy. 
How could somebody do that to my little sister? And I remember sitting in a New Testament Bible class, and the professor was sharing these words from the gospel, talking about Jesus' incredible forgiveness. And I remember thinking, how could I ever forgive him? And after class, I walked up to the professor and I asked him that question. I said, are you saying, are you saying that I have to forgive that? And he helped me see the cross in a new way. He said, Todd, do you believe that when Jesus went to the cross, that when his hands were nailed and his feet pinned to the board, that he did that to pay for your sins so that you could be forgiven. I said, yes. Yes, of course I believe that. I have no hope outside of that. And my professor said, he didn't just take your sins there. He took Rob's sins there too. So that he too could have forgiveness if he will ever reach out to me. And I wrestled that through and finally came to a point of releasing that to Jesus, to bringing my enemy to Jesus. For Jesus' justice and, yes, even for Jesus' mercy. And I stepped into a new kind of freedom And if you've had something against an enemy, you've been wounded, you've been hurt, you've been holding on, you're angry inside, I don't want us to leave this place without the freedom that Jesus wants to offer us. Freedom to be able to pray for our enemies. God, bless them. God, help me to serve them. God, yes, even forgive them.